Hello, and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is a podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them become more real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them and apply them to ourselves better and and just uh, allows us to draw so much more from them. And we certainly need that. We need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and today is a short cast where I'm just going to, it's not going to take very long, but there are a couple of thoughts that I want to share as we did uh, our episode on 2 Nephi chapter 2 with Casey Griffiths that I thought was fantastic. I just loved uh, everything about it and it was wonderful, but there were a couple little topics that I was interested in that it would have been too much of a diversion there. So I just wanted to talk about them with you. So this is just, just me and you uh, as we go through looking at Second uh, Nephi 2, just such a profound chapter. And even now we're not going to plumb the depths of it in any way, but there are a couple of elements that I thought were worth talking about and investigating further than what we were able to in the, the little over an hour that Casey and I spent on this. So we're going to jump into Second Nephi chapter 2, and one of the famous verses is verse 11. And, and I want to look at verse 11, and we're going to kind of pick a couple verses as we go along to develop two different themes. All right, so Second Nephi chapter 2, verse 11. For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass. Neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery neither good nor bad. Wherefore, all things must needs be a compound in one. We're going to come back to that phrase in just a minute. All, wherefore, all things. So if there's not these opposite ends of, of uh, the spectrum, as it were, on, on different principles and points, all things must need be, needs be a compound in one. Wherefore, if it should be one body, it must needs remain as dead, having neither no life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense nor insensibility. Now, when I hear that, this idea, it must be a compound of one or it should be one body. This is pretty philosophical stuff, but it does make me think of a phrase uh, that the ancient Egyptians had. Their description of what the state of the universe was before creation began. When So remember, and I, we've talked about this in other podcasts but a long time ago, at the beginning of the Old Testament year, so uh, well more than a year ago, we talked about this idea that creation was not ex nihilo or out of nothing, but that there was matter, stuff, whatever you want to call it, primordial soup. There was stuff out there in the universe, in the cosmos, uh, and yet it was all just unorganized. So it was just one big messy soup, right? And, and water was the symbol for that, but it was all one thing. And so the Egyptian phrase for pre-creative state is before there were two things. Because creation begins when one thing is different than everything else. And I think that's part of what Lehi is talking about here. There is no real creation if everything is the same. But when one thing arises, it is in opposition to something else. It is different from that other thing. And then the creation of any one thing means it is different from its counterpart. And that's why we get, and you find this in so many uh, cultures, right? It's the yin and the yang uh, and so on. It's, it's, it's all over the place, this idea uh, that uh, happiness and misery are part and parcel of the same thing. I remember President Nelson talking about if you want to take the pain out of death, then you have to stop. Uh, take you have to take the joy out of loving people in this life. Right? We we will be sad when people die, even though we know we'll see them again. We will be sad when people die because we love them. And if there weren't love, there wouldn't be misery, but there wouldn't be joy and a whole lot of other things as well. Right. So we have these two things, uh, and, and I think that's uh, really, I, I kind of understand that a little bit better with this idea that 
pre-creation is before there were two things. But once we have creation, we are bound to have these uh, these opposites, these spectrums on all sorts of principles, right? So uh, he goes on to talk about that a little bit, and, and Casey and I spoke about that, but I want to jump down to verse 15. And to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man, after he had created our first parents and the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air, and then find all things which are created. So this is what we're talking about, right? You've got uh, when things are created, then you're going to have to have the opposites. So uh, when he's created in fine, all things which are created, it must needs be that there was an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life. Now, this is uh, really interesting because we've got here this idea that, that uh, creation entails opposition. But then he's going to talk about a very specific opposition, the forbidden fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil in opposition to the tree of life. And I've talked in one of my little daily bread things that I've been doing on on uh, patreon.com slash edu. You can also reach that by going to tsar, T-S-A-R, which stands for the scriptures are real. So tsar uh, dot website. Anyway, uh, in one of my, in my daily breads. I talked about uh, the the symbolism of the tree of life, at least in Lehi's vision, and I, but I think most especially in the story of Adam and Eve, there are all sorts of symbols associated with it. But I think the primary symbol has to be being in the presence of God. That's the tree of life, eternal life, or in other words, knowing God and being with Him for forever. All right. In opposition to that is the forbidden fruit or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or the ability to know these different opposites. So to know these opposites, we will have to have some of these things that make it so that we are not worthy to be with God. And and that reminds me of something I've been exploring. I think I've mentioned a number of times that I have a book um, that uh, is coming out right about now, by the time this episode airs, is, is about when it should be coming out, maybe a, a few weeks later or something. And it's on Easter. It's called The Easter Connection. Um, and then the subtitle something about, well, let's see here. Uh, I've got the book here. I've got my copy already. Made whole with God through Christ. So um, the uh, the idea, or one of the ideas that I explore there, is the irony that when God wants us to draw closer to Him, when He wants a closer relationship with Him, that necessitates that we will become more like Him, so that we can have that closer relationship. And then the irony is that that means in order to draw closer to Him. We had to leave him, right? So that's, I think, exactly what this opposition is. Adam and Eve had to choose to stay with God, but not progress, not become more like him so that they could be even closer with him, or to become closer with him by first becoming separated from him. And then in the book, I go on to explore how Christ's atoning sacrifice holds that same irony that in order for him to create the reunion that we need, uh, that we all have to have uh, the, the he had to become the, the more isolated he became, the more he could allow help us to be unified with God. And then we get infinite uh, atonement in there and so on. So that's stuff that we explore in the book. But I, I wanted to really explore the one element of it here, that the choice given to Adam and Eve was remain forever with God or separate yourselves from God. And then turn to Christ, and you can eventually have an even greater relationship with God. But some people will choose to remain separated from God. 
it's hopefully our choice to draw back to him through the relationship created by covenant and Christ and to keep pursuing that covenant path and Christ so that we can eventually not only regain his presence, but have complete and full union with him, a closer relationship than we ever had. And that seems to be what is being spoken of here when it says that there was an opposition and when everything was created, there had to be an opposition, even the forbidden fruit or separation from God, as we learn misery and joy and so on and so on, which is in opposition to the tree of life, or in other words, in, in order in opposition to being in God's presence. We couldn't have both. If we wanted to draw closer to God, we had to leave God. Uh, that's, that's an interesting thing. Now we're going to jump down to verse 17. Um, <clears throat> and I, Lehi, according to the things which I have read, must need suppose that an angel of God, according to that which is written, had fallen from heaven, wherefore he became a devil, having sought that which was evil before God. Now, I find this interesting. I teach uh, Pearl of Great Price, uh, and so we get the Moses account of the fall. Um, we I teach uh, Old Testament, so I get the Genesis account of the fall, and so on and so on. Um, and I find that, and I look at the Doctrine and Covenants account in section 29 and so on. I find that if you are ever going to have a fairly lengthy exposition on the fall, not a short one, but if you're going to have a fairly lengthy exposition on the fall where it really talks about it, you always have God explaining, well, there was an angel who was with me who fell. And that angel provides some of the opposition, right? So I'll read this again. And I, Lehi, according to the things which I have read, must need suppose that an angel of God, according to that which is written, had fallen from heaven, wherefore he became a devil, having sought that which was evil before God. But he is part of the opposition. He will entice Adam and Eve. And I think I said this you know, a year and a half ago or whenever it was that we were, I guess a little over a year ago when we were starting Old Testament. Uh, no, that's two years ago. Yeah. Uh, two years ago, when we were starting Old Testament, that um, I, I think it was necessary for Adam and Eve to have this agent. And, and, we, and we can get caught up in these things like, oh, is that fair that, that uh, Satan had to play that role? Well, God didn't force Satan to play that role. He knew he would, uh, both because he transcends time in a way that, that doesn't make sense to us because we live in time, but he transcends time, so he knew he would. But I think we could even go the prediction route. Like, if you give me 15... Uh, 12 and 13 year old scouts, uh, and we set a bunch of rules for them, uh, rules for them. I can guarantee one of them is going to break one of the rules. I just hundred percent certainty. All right. So you give God billions and billions of children. He knows someone's going to rebel, but he didn't even need to predict because he knew by transcending time that it would happen. Uh, Elder Maxwell talked about this uh, and God, everything, he quotes Joseph Smith saying, everything is an eternal now before God and that God, all things are present before God. So that makes it so that prophecy, leave, or, or that, that God's foreknowledge leaves the realm of prediction and enters the realm of prophecy. In other words, he knows and that's why he can say it. In any case, that's still necessary for Adam and Eve because I, you know, I, I get tempted just fine by my fallen nature. I have a fallen nature. It tempts me all I need to be tempted. But Adam and Eve did not have a fallen nature. And so Satan provided that opposition that would help them see and make the choice to separate themselves from God so that they could be propelled forward and be reunited with God in full communion, as I've already spoken about. So those are just a few verses that I thought were worth exploring on this theme of opposition and uh, and how that helps us actually draw closer to God and become more like God. There's a second theme 
that I want to explore a little bit. And that will start in verse 19. So I'm going to read, uh, we're still in 2 Nephi 2, and I'm going to read a few verses, verses 19 through 21. And after Adam and Eve had partaken of the forbidden fruit, they were driven out of the Garden of Eden to till the earth. And they have brought forth children, yea, even the family of all the earth. And the days of their children, uh, the days of the children of men were prolonged according to the will of God that they might repent while in the flesh. So this is that idea that, okay, they're, they're not going to immediately be able to partake of the tree of life. That's why cherubim and a flaming sword are set there to keep them from doing that because they need a time to prepare to come back into God's presence. All right. So that's, that's very important. So they're, they're, that they might repent while in the flesh. Wherefore, because of that, their state became a state of probation. And their time was lengthened according to the commandments which the Lord God gave unto the children of men. So he gives them enough time to be able to tr- change and come to Christ so who can intercede on their behalf. Uh, these are some thoughts I've been putting on those uh, daily uh, bread thoughts on, on the website, the Patreon website I mentioned earlier. Anyway, uh, we want intercession. We want to rely on the merits, mercy, and grace of Christ. We need time to be able to start to do that. For he gave commandment that all men must repent. For he showed unto all men that they were lost because of the transgression of their parents. Now, one of the things I also brought up in a workshop that uh, I did on the Book of Mormon, um, and th- that's uh, that whole workshop is available on, on our website, the Patreon uh, website, or tsar.website, um, or, uh, and I did it in one of the Daily Breads, uh, this idea that lost comes, if, if it's the same way it's used in Hebrew, and I would guess for Nef- Lehi, he's speaking Hebrew to his family here, uh, the word would be avad, and it has connotations of being destroyed. So I explore that in those other settings a little bit more, as I said, but that all men are lost to the point where they will be destroyed, they will, they will cease to exist, kind of a, a connotation here because of the transgression of their parents. Now, we have an article of faith that says we believe that uh, everyone will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. So we need to kind of triangulate here, all right? This is one of the scripture study skills that I hope you can get. We need to, uh, sometimes we just take one verse and forget how it relates with other verses and other stories and triangulating in the scriptures is important to say okay well it says it this way here and this way here and this way here we need to recognize that there are different voices in scriptures and not everyone will talk about not all prophets uh throughout the thousands of years we've had prophets will talk about the same things in the same way or using the same language so just as an example president oaks has helped us recognize that the the word sin and transgression most scriptural authors use those as exact synonyms but sometimes we use them to mean two different things right so you have to be aware of that but still sometimes we can triangulate on these things and uh, especially when it comes to doctrinal things we need to triangulate to try and figure out. So we're going to try and do that a little bit here, all right? So remember that Adam and Eve partake of the forbidden fruit. They're driven from the Garden of Eden. That's verse 19. Verse 20, they bring forth the ch- children, even the family of all the earth. And then verse 21, their children and they themselves have their days prolonged so that they can repent um, and uh, before they come into God. Because God has commanded that all men must repent, for he showed unto all men that they were lost because of the transgressions of their parents. So let's be clear. This seems to be saying, and we're going to try and triangulate on this, this seems to be saying that because of the fall, because of what Adam and Eve did, we are lost. All right. But we've also got this one that says, well, 
um, we're, we're, we're not responsible for Adam and Eve's sin. So we're going to look at some other places in scriptures to see if we can figure out a little bit more about that. All right. But let's keep going. Verse 22. And now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they were created. And they must have remained forever and had no end. So in the episode with Casey, we've talked about, you know, that's bad. So you get good and bad elements of all of this. I think Casey just described that masterfully. And I was so appreciative of the way he said that Lehi keeps bringing this back to Christ. And we need to do that as well. And we will. Um, but but note how Lehi does it. We, uh, we're looking at the fall and everything, but part and parcel of the fall is understanding the atonement, right? So we've got creation, fall, and atonement, what has been described by Elder McConkie and others as the three pillars of eternity. Uh, ab- and, and we're talking about it here. We've just talked about creation. We need to understand creation to understand the fall, but and understand the fall to understand creation, and both of them understand the atonement, and atonement to understand them, right? So Lehi is going to keep bringing it back, but let's make sure we're we're understanding that without that atonement, because of the transgression, we must have uh, either Adam doesn't fall and we're stuck forever, or he does fall and without the atonement, then we're stuck forever. Verse 23, and they would have had no children. So this is, by the way, where we learn. It's in 2 Nephi 2, where we learn that it, without the fall, there are no children, so the whole plan is frustrated. Wherefore, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But behold... All things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. We talked about that quite a bit in the other episode, so I'm not going to talk about it there. But I do want to highlight this, verse 26. And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. That's, that's so important to understand that this is all part of this right now. With all of that in mind, Adam, it says Adam has been commanded that they all have to repent. He's going to needs to tell everyone else that they all need to repent. So I would say, let's look at where we can read that story a little bit. And so we're going to go to the book of Moses and we're going to go to chapter six. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 50. Uh, and we're going to read from chapter six, verse 50 and several verses thereafter. I hope that you also read. Uh, I hope that you will, uh, take the time to to get into your scriptures and really go into this yourself. But here's how we're going to triangulate a little bit. Uh, one of these scripture study skills where we say, okay, well, I know he talks about the fall here in 2 Nephi 2, and he says some things that should happen, and he says some things about transgression and being responsible for it. Where else does it talk about that? Well, it talks about it here in Moses chapter 6. So verse 50, this is Enoch talking about when he saw in vision what happened to Adam, all right? Verse 50. But God hath made known unto our fathers that all men must repent. That's exactly what Lehi said God had done in 2 Nephi 2. And he called upon our father Adam by his own voice, saying, I am God. I made the world and men before they were in the flesh. So I created the world. I also created you spiritually, and then I've created you physically. And he also said unto him, If thou wilt turn unto me and hearken unto my voice and believe, and repent of all thy transgressions. So notice what he's saying, okay? Turn to me, listen, believe, or have faith, repent of all thy transgressions, and be baptized, even in water, in the name of mine only begotten Son, who is full of grace and truth, which is Jesus Christ, the only name which shall be given under heaven, whereby salvation shall come unto the children of men. So all of that is kind of a discourse is about being baptized in the name of the Son and helping us know who the Son is. Full of grace, truth, mercy, we've seen elsewhere and so on. Anyway, um, and it's the only name that can bring salvation, all right? So we need to know about Christ. But now if we're to say, okay, that, that's who it is, but kind of to shorten and make sure we understand this verse then. 
So we've got the the turn to God, listen to his voice or, or obey. We could say that's another way of saying, so turn to me, be obedient. Um, and when I get to second Nephi 31 and 32, I will talk about this, uh, section of book of the book of Moses being part of the doctrine of Christ. You're going to see in there, we misunderstand the doctrine of Christ. So often we, we, we get some of the core of it, but we miss a lot of other important things. And it. it includes, uh, hearing God and, and obeying. All right. But then we have believing, repent, be baptized in the name of Christ. And we keep going to the end of that discourses on who Christ is. Then we get, um, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So you've got the Holy Ghost there, right? And that is the core, that, that faith, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost. But we'll show that there's more later. Anyway, you shall receive the Holy Ghost, asking all things in his name. So there's a prayer part, so let's keep that in mind as well uh, when we get to Second Nephi 31 and 32. And whatsoever ye shall ask, it shall be given you. And our father Adam spake unto the Lord and said, Why is it that men must repent and be baptized in water? So God's told him, you have to be baptized. And Adam says, why? And look at God's answer. And the Lord said unto Adam, behold, I have forgiven thee thy transgression in the garden of Eden. Isn't that a weird answer to this? Well, what it is, is God is about to, he'll get down in verse uh, 60 to explain why they have to be baptized in water. But he has to teach Adam some other things first. Adam won't understand verse 60 if he doesn't get these things in between. So God, as the uh, amazing teacher, will teach him these other things. So Adam says, why do I have to be baptized in water? Well, I've forgiven you your transgression of the Garden of Eden. So Adam has been forgiven. So has, has Eve. Hence came the saying abroad among the people that the Son of God hath atoned for original guilt, wherein the sins of the parents cannot be answered upon the heads of the children, for they are whole from the foundation of the world. Now, we spent a long time on this in the... That, that Book of Mormon workshop I did, and we're going to do another one soon. Uh, but uh, in any case, we, we spent some time on that, uh, talking about uh, what does this mean, original guilt as opposed to original sin. I'll just be quick here. You can see that workshop on uh, Edge EDU if you go there. But um, we've got basically original sin is the idea that because of the fall of Adam, we are all cut off from the God from the moment we are born. And without baptism, everyone will remain cut off or forever. We agree with 90% of that. The only part we don't agree with is that children have to be baptized. We believe that the uh, atonement automatically covers for them. But the point is, it does have to cover for them. All right, let's read why. Verse 55, and the Lord spake unto Adam, saying, Inasmuch as thy children are conceived in sin, and by that he means conceived by fallen beings, even so, when they begin to grow up, sin conceiveth in their hearts, and they taste the bitter that they may know to prize the good. Do you see the same language here that we had in 2 Nephi 2? Uh, and and uh, this is uh, given to Joseph Smith about a year later than when he would have been translating that. In any case, think of that. He is telling us, because we are conceived by fallen beings, we are fallen. So from the very get-go, from the first moment you, you draw breath, you are damned. You're cut off from God's presence, and you can't get back without Christ. And if you don't turn to Christ, now if you die as a child, then you're automatically covered. And, and by the way, that's what the word atonement means in Hebrew is to cover. In any case, you're automatically covered. But if you get to the age of accountability, then you better turn to Christ or else you will remain damned. But you can turn to Christ, right? But note what it says, that, that the children are whole— from the foundation of the world. In other words, they need Christ to make them whole, right? So we are, and also he's saying 
not only are you cut off because of your fallen nature, but because of your fallen nature, you will think of and then enact sin. It's inevitable for everyone but Christ. It would happen for everyone. Thus, we desperately need Christ. So I will read this again. And the Lord spake unto Adam, saying, Inasmuch as thy children are conceived in sin, even so when they begin to grow up, sin conceiveth in their hearts. So that's, we're cut off by our nature, we're cut off by what we will do, which we inevitably will do because of our nature, and they taste the bitter that they may notarize the good. So that's the good part of this, all right? And it is given unto them to know good from evil, wherefore they are agents unto themselves. You see the similarity of the language here, right? He's talking about the same thing. And I have given unto you another law and commandment. Wherefore, teach it unto your children. So this is where Adam and Eve are commanded that they have to teach their children that all men everywhere must repent or they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. For no unclean thing can dwell there. This is what we talked about earlier, right? Uh, we get this all over the place. We cannot be with God if we are unholy, because he is holy and our natures will be incompatible with each other. So, for no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence, for in the language of Adam, man of holiness is his name. And the name of his only begotten is the Son of Man, even Jesus Christ, a righteous judge who shall come in the meridian of time. Now, if you've heard me talk about what the word judge means, this will mean even more to you, because what it means is someone who is righteous who will come to make things right and make things the way they should be for the wicked, but also for the righteous, right? So that's wonderful and that's good. Uh, anyway, therefore, because of all of that, because no unclean thing can be in God's presence, but there is a Savior coming to save us, because of that, I give unto you a commandment to teach these things freely unto your children. Please teach your children that by reason of transgression cometh the fall, which fall bringeth death. And inasmuch as you were born into the world by water and blood and the spirit, which I have made, and so became of dust a living soul, even so you must be born again into the kingdom of heaven, of water and of the spirit, and be cleansed by blood, even the blood of mine only begotten, that ye might be sanctified from all sin and enjoy the words of eternal life in this world and eternal life in the world to come, even immortal glory. For by the water you keep the commandment. So that's going to sound like Second Nephi 31. You, when you, uh, uh, one of the ways that you are obedient is by being baptized. By the Spirit you're justified, and by the blood ye are sanctified. This is such powerful stuff. Uh, and there's another one that we've triangulated on elsewhere when we come to understand that the Spirit, in some places it says it sanctifies, in other places it justifies. Here it says the blood sanctifies, the Spirit justifies. Uh, that tells us that both the atoning sacrifice of Christ and the Holy Ghost are necessary uh, to bring uh, us to the Father. Where did I talk about? Oh, I talked about that in my Holy Ghost Masterclass that is also on our Patreon website or at sar.website or Align edgy to you, however you want to get there and, and, and be there. Anyway, let's kind of review this a little bit before we keep reading. He has basically just said, but transgression was necessary, fall was necessary, but it brings death. Now, life came by being born by water, blood, and the spirit. All right, and you can think of how birth happens and understand that. Thus, to overcome death, you need to be born again by water, blood, and the Spirit. And part of this symbolism is to help us understand that as very real as birth is, and it's obviously real, so is being born again. 
And I would say that means spiritually well in this life, but also uh, full born again in the next life way. Christ makes us into godly creatures. He's trying to help us understand the reality of that and the necessity of that and how it's only possible through his only begotten and the Holy Ghost. Uh, who plays a key role in this. So now we go to verse 61. Therefore, it is given to abide in you the record of heaven, the comforter, so there's the Holy Ghost again, the peaceable things of immortal glory, the truth of all things, that which quickeneth all things or makes everything alive. That's what that means. And in case we get it, the next phrase is, which maketh alive all things, that which knoweth all things and hath all power according to wisdom, mercy, truth, and judgment. And now behold, I say unto you, this is the plan of salvation unto all men, through the blood of mine only begotten shall come in the meridian of time. And behold, all things have their likeness and all things are created and made to bear record of me. And, and so on. I'm going to jump down to verse 64. And it came to pass when the Lord had spoken with Adam, our father, that Adam cried unto the Lord and he was caught away by the spirit of the Lord and was carried down into the water and was laid under the water and was brought forth out of the water. In other words, the spirit baptized Adam. There were no options of someone else to do it. So that's who had to do it. And thus he was baptized and the spirit of God descended upon him. And thus he was born of the spirit and became quickened in the inner man. So that's that born again uh, element that can happen to all of us once we're baptized. And hopefully it happens to us again and again and again. And he heard a voice out of heaven saying, thou art baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. This is the record of the Father and the Son from henceforth and forever. Notice how much this is the doctrine of Christ. And thou art after the order of him who was without beginning of days or end of years from all eternity to all eternity. So you're after the order of Christ once you're baptized. Behold, thou art one in me. Notice that unity that we're talking about. A son of God. Now, we're all children of God in one way or another. But, but there's a different way we become children of God as we become part of the covenant, which is what's just happened for Adam and Eve here, as we become part of the covenant and as we have our natures changed, right? And thus may all become my sons, or really I think children is, is an even better translation of this, even though we don't have the original, I would guess so, um, that all thus may all become my children, amen. All right, so that's hugely important to understand what's going on in 2 Nephi 2 and to understand what's happening, that, that we are cut off because so we don't have to pay for Adam's transgression, but we experience the effects of Adam's transgression, which is that we are our nature is too unholy to be with God from the moment we're born and that we will inevitably sin. But Christ was sent to take care of that. And Adam here, Adam and Eve, were commanded to... Uh, make that known to their children, and they themselves were baptized. I don't know if Adam baptized Eve after that, or if Eve was also baptized by the Holy Spirit. Or I don't know how it worked, but my guess would be Adam baptized Eve. I don't know. Um, and then they're told to to teach their children. All right. So if we go backwards, the, the story is a little chopped up in Moses. Uh, we don't really get this account anywhere except for because Enoch sees it in vision, so he gives us this full account. But we can go back to chapter five where I think some of the same things are, are happening. We just don't get that full account with them. So let's go to chapter five. Um, verse one is when they're driven out and Adam began to till the earth and have dominion over all the beasts of the field and eat the bread by eat his bread by the sweat of his brow. And I, as I, the Lord had commanded him and Eve also his wife did labor with him. And Adam knew his wife and she bare him sons and daughters and they began to multiply and replenish the earth. So we've had that being talked about in Moses 6. We had it being talked about in 2 Nephi 2. So we're just triangulating some more here. 
And from that time forth, the sons and daughters of Adam began to divide two and two in the land. So they got married and had their own families and to till the land in 10 flocks. And they also begat sons and daughters, right? So families are happening. And Adam and Eve, his wife, called upon the name of the Lord. And they heard the voice of the Lord from the way toward the Garden of Eden, speaking unto them. And they saw him not, for they were shut out from his presence, which we know has happened, right? And notice how we've gone from first person. I, the Lord God, drove them out. That's when they could be in his presence and, and he commanded them. So they were in his presence. And after that, God is going to be third person because they're now cut off from his presence. And so textually, that's reflected by this story is no longer God telling us the story. We hear about it third person because we're cut off from his presence as a people. Verse five, and he gave unto them commandments that they should worship the Lord their God and should offer the firstlings of their flocks for an offering unto the Lord. And Adam was obedient unto the commandments of the Lord. And after many days, an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam saying, why, why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And we have this great, fantastic phrase we learn from. And Adam said unto him, I know not save the Lord commanded me. So powerful. Hope we can all learn that lesson anyway. And then the angel spake saying, this thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. Now, know how he's learning about Christ and that Christ is full of grace and truth. That's what he also learned in Moses chapter six. I think that we're the, I think that we're reading about the same encounter, just different elements of it in each one. One has one emphasis, one has another. Anyway, I don't know for sure, but that would be my guess. Wherefore. Thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore, which is what they were told in that other um, that other story. And then look at this. And in that day, the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam. Well, we just read that that happened when he was baptized, right? I think it's probably talking about the same day. Which beareth record of the Father and the Son, saying, I am the only begotten of the Father from the beginning, henceforth and forever, that, thou, that as thou hast fallen, Thou mayest be redeemed in all mankind, even as many as will. I think that's a really shorthand version of the account we were just reading. And in that day, Adam blessed God and was filled and began to prophesy concerning all the families of the earth, saying, Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgression, my eyes are open, and in this life I shall have joy. And again, in the flesh, I shall see God. So still learning about overcoming that fall that they've been through. And then verse 11, and Eve, his wife heard all these things and was glad saying, were it not for our transgression, we never should have had seed and never should have known good and evil and the joy of our redemption and the eternal life, which God giveth unto all the obedience. So you can see here, this is the same stuff that uh, Lehi is talking about in second Nephi two, same stuff that we are looking at in, in Moses chapter six, just getting different elements of it here, right? Verse 12, and Adam and Eve blessed the name of God, and they made all things known unto their sons and daughters. Then Satan comes and convinces them not to believe, and then God calls upon them by the Holy Ghost and tells them to repent, uh, and they need to repent, be baptized, and, and be, believe, and so on. And then they hope Cain is the solution to this, but he's not, and then Abel is, but then he's killed, and then they get Seth, and he really is the one who will listen and repent, and so on. Um, if we were to go to the very, very end of this, chapter verse 59 and thus uh, well verse 58 and thus the gospel began to be preached so i think everything in between um verse 12 and verse 58 is kind of an explanation of things that happened but now we're going back to where we were in verse 58 we're going back to, to where we were when uh, it kind of meanwhile back at the ranch kind of a thing and thus the gospel began to be preached from the beginning, being declared by holy angels, the ones that went and talked to Adam and Eve when they were making the sacrifice, 
sent forth from the presence of God and by his own voice and by the gift of the Holy Ghost. All those things that we've just talked about. And thus all things were confirmed unto Adam by an holy ordinance. I think that ordinance is probably the baptism that we read about in chapter six. And the gospel preached and a decree sent forth that it should be in the world until the end thereof. And thus it was, amen, that everyone needs to repent and be baptized and be saved by Jesus Christ is basically what that's saying. So hopefully by reading all of these different verses, that helps us understand Second Nephi 2 better. And, and we can see how different prophets between Enoch and uh, Moses giving us Enoch's account of, of uh, Adam and Eve. Moses' account in chapter 5 of Adam and Eve, well, it's really Moses' account of Enoch's account in chapter 6, and Moses' account in chapter 5, and Lehi's account in 2 Nephi 2, we are learning more and more about the fall. You can get Joseph Smith's account in section 29 as another good place for you to go and study. But hopefully we're starting to understand the fall and how Christ is sent to overcome the fall and why we're happy about the fall and why it's necessary and why we're even more happy about Jesus Christ and how he makes it possible for us to overcome the fall and become so fully unified with God in a closer relationship than we ever could have had without the fall. And again, I explored that a little bit in my new Easter book that's coming out, but I hope we can understand all of this. It's just so exciting and powerful and uplifting. And uh, it's, it's my prayer that we will be grateful for God, for Christ, for Adam and Eve, for the Holy Ghost, and for all and the covenant and all that God has done to help us to draw closer to him so that we can have that wonderful, beautiful relationship. I'm so grateful for that. I hope if this is useful that you'll share it with people, uh, that you'll do the likes and rates and reviews and comments and downloads and all those things that you can do to help more people uh, gain access to this. We have another one this week where we're showing you another app and another a group that helps you study your scriptures. So we're trying to do that every now and then. So we've got another one that will help you uh, get even more out of your scriptures. And um, then next week, we're going to have, I believe we have this lined up, Patrick Mason and John Tanner uh, talking to us about Nephi Psalm, 2 Nephi chapter 4. It's going to be great stuff. I so look forward to uh, joining you with all those things. And I thank you for all your wonderful support. Uh, and, and I hope it's all we're doing is helpful for you. And uh, we'll just keep finding different ways to interact with each other and uplift and edify each other. Thank you. <music>